Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Notice I have not. Yeah, I'm I kind of feel kind of bummed about that. Well, I've decided I'm going to stop harassing you at the beginning of the show. But what if I liked it? That makes it even more fun. I damn you to hell. Okay. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. As our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes, listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians who are interested in the dark side of Canada. So put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an animal bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Episode 18 of Dark Poutine. Amazing. 18. It's uh, my lucky number. 18 is your lucky number. It was also Igor Larionov's uh, number when he was with the Canucks. Just saying. Well, my birthday's the 18th. 18. I like it. Deal with it. You're so self-centered. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, I've been waiting uh, for some time to get to this particular topic. This guy's uh, quite a creep. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? I don't know why I even bother because all of them are creeps. Yeah. No, yeah. It's not, <laughs> I don't imagine someday we'll have because, okay, this guy's a gem we're, we're talking yeah. about today. He's yeah. really an upstanding murdery gem. Yeah. Yeah. He killed and ate people. But aside from what a lovely fella. Yeah. It was just, you know. He made a mistake. <laughs> How many times? Four. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so in the next two episodes, we're talking about the life and crimes of the monster of Miramichi, serial killer Alan Legere from New Brunswick, uh, a real peach of a guy. Here in part one, we get to know Mr. Legere, his early crimes and his first murder, that of shop owner John Glendening during the commission of a burglary of Glendening's convenience store. Mm. According to Doug Underhill's book, Miramichi Tales Tall and True, Miramichi is a river, a community, a region, and a state of mind. As local historian Manford Wasson so aptly said, the Miramichi is a microcosm of the country. We encompass most of the founding ethnic groups of Canada. We have a strong traditional and cultural base from the native community, the French, the English, the Scottish, and the Irish. 
So that's that's Atlantic Canada, pretty much in a nutshell. All, all I'm taking away from our 18 podcasts mm-hmm. is that Canada probably has like some of the most wicked names for cities. Yeah, Miramichi. Like, Miramichi. I don't know. Like it just. I I love that. Yeah. Well, where I'm from, uh, there are places like well, Antigonish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracy, one of our listeners, is uh, from Antigonish. Mm. Uh, Muscadabit. <laughs> no, that one, I don't know why, but that one does it. Muscadabit? Muscadabit. Yeah. It sounds like somebody uh, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's um, a national park in Nova Scotia called Kejimakujik. Oh, my God. This is like Kejimakujik? Kejimakujik. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're all Mi'k- Mi'kmaq names, so... Thank you, know. you Mi'kmaq. Yeah, exactly. Like wow. Muscadabit, Kejimakujik. Oh, and Muscadabit. You can't forget Look Tatamagush. At... Tatamagush? Tatamagush. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, have you ever tried it? It's delicious. <laughs> it sounds yeah. delicious. Yeah. Actually. Uh, it's like pudding. Yeah, but if you don't cook it right. Mm, well, this is that kind of with everything. <laughs> you don't cook it right, it tastes terrible. Yeah. yeah. But today we're talking about Miramichi. Oh. Yeah, these names, Miramichi. They just kind of flow. They really do. There's but, a good cadence to them. Right. And But if you had not heard me pronounce it, you probably would. Oh, okay. Let me just, I'm going to try to read it. Miramichi. Yes. Miramichi. Yeah. Miramichi. Miramichi. That's how I would say it. Miramichi. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yes. That ends this episode of <laughs> Canadian Cities. Exactly. But Alan Legere was born in, on February 13th, 1948, not in some place that was not, does not flow as nicely, in Chatham. I still like it. Chatham. Yeah. Well, I guess Chatham is nice. Yeah, you hang out with your friends in your Chatham. Yeah, Chatham, New Brunswick. Chatham uh, up. His parents were of French ancestry, thus his last name, Legere. Mm-hmm. Uh, coincidentally, February 13th is the same birth date as the uh, late brutal abuser Billy Stafford from episode 16. Piece of shit. He was born in 1941 and later had his head blown off by his long-suffering wife, Jane. She she relieved him? She relieved him of, <laughs> of his brain. Of his brains yeah. all over his, his pickup truck. That's right. Uh, Billy Stafford lied and told people he'd been born on Friday the 13th and uh, that he was in league with the devil. He was actually born on a Thursday. Boo. Yeah. Lie. But Legier, on the other hand, was really born on Friday the 13th. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. If there ever was a man with the devil in him, Alan Legier would fit the bill. This is true. His family life was rough right from the beginning. From the book Terror's End, Alan Legier's mother, Louise, said her husband, Vince, was the most twisted and vicious person I knew. Interesting. However, that was not Alan's father. Even though she was still married to him, uh, Vince took off uh, to look for work in 1945, and he did just didn't come back. <laughs> Alan Legier's... What's so funny? I just like it. Yeah. Did he know? Did he know that... <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this guy. There's going to be this child? I can just sense this child's a demon. Alan Legier's biological father was a man named Leonard Camo, another very French name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he quickly took took off after fathering Alan. Well, yeah, it's a pattern here. Yeah, jeez. I I feel bad for Louise, to tell you the truth. Yeah, and I uh, I do feel bad for a child, uh, 
Alan, like as a well, as yeah. a child, like that that's not going to be uh, the best environment. No, that's going to be something. You know, it sounds like everything already is going to be something. Actually, a lot of serial killers come from homes where they don't have a strong father presence, but weak fathers. They're okay. <laughs> weak fathers. Yeah, weak is right. Yeah, weak. Anyway, um, yeah. Alan hated the other kids and resented coming from the single-parent home. Uh, he hated that people looked down their noses at their family, and whether mm -hmm. they actually did or not, we don't know. He just perceived that. Yep. Uh, he was known for throwing rocks at some of his neighbors, even the old ladies. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great kid. Yeah. Uh, when he was nine, he lost his older brother, Freddie, who he really looked up to. Freddie was run down by a car and killed instantly. Uh, Legier and his family felt there was some kind of cover-up around Freddie's death, citing some weird conspiracy. So, not weird. Sound like they were a little kooky. Yeah, but I, like that's a like you know pretty heavy trauma to have to deal with as a kid. For sure. Yeah. 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 Especially now. No father, older brother who you really love. Yeah. Like run down. Yeah. Uh, you're poor. Yep. You know, uh, coming from quote the wrong side of the tracks. Yep. You know, that's oh. not easy. I, especially in Atlantic Canada, I watched a lot of that. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, if it it's it was, I don't know if it still is, but uh, back then there was a lot of looking down their nose at people of the a lower class. Mm. But uh, but yeah, and then kids are known to be assholes to one another, and yeah, yes. Yes. I was one too. Yeah. You know, I still are an asshole. Thanks. <laughs> so he got into trouble early. He claimed he was crammed into a room with his sisters and that he had to sleep with them until he was 12 years old. And he would masturbate while watching them undress. Oh, that makes me highly uncomfortable. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the time Legere was 16, he was peeping into the windows of neighborhood girls watching them disrobe. <laughs> They knew he was there, but uh, they continued to give the blue-eyed, muscly Legere a show. <laughs> I don't know. He even ripped one girl's top off at school to get a better look at what was underneath. Jeez. Uh, his first sexual experience with a girl, uh, he actually couldn't keep it up, and she gave him a hard time. Pun intended. Ew. So much so, he later claimed he could not achieve climax for a full year afterward. Wow. Okay. Alan couldn't stand dealing with the other kids and fought often over what he perceived as class-driven ridicule. Uh, they were no better than him, and he'd take on anyone willing to argue. Mm. I knew a few of those kind of guys. Yeah, I up. think we all did. Yeah. yeah. He started working out constantly, a passion that followed him throughout his life. He saw himself as a tough guy, and he loved to show off scars he'd gotten from fights he'd been in. Hmm. He was always punching something to toughen up his knuckles. Alan left school and home around 16 and quickly got his uh, first conviction for theft. He was fined $15 and spent 15 days in a local jail. Hmm. Dollar a day. Yep. Two years later, when he was 18, Legere was popped for theft over $50, and for that, he received 18 months in jail. Okay. Not a great beginning to no. an, uh, being an adult. Nope. Uh, he, when he got out, 
he worked some menial jobs once. He was a longshoreman for a while. It's hard work. And he even spent some time felling trees as a lumberjack. Oh, awesome. And if you look at this guy, uh, if you see some pictures of him, he looks like that stereotypical lumberjack. You oh, can seriously? Just, yeah. yeah, you yeah. can kind of see him wearing the, you know, the plaid and whatever. The and Paul Bunyan look. Yeah, the one that we so proudly wear in Canada. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway. He moved to North Bay, Ontario, and fell in love. He got married, fathering two children. He began to work as a machinist at this time, so maybe he's cleaning up his act. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic. You are? Good. Yeah. Good man. Yeah, I think this po- this episode goes nowhere. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> he uh, he was not the best father or loyal husband. Yeah. Um, he moved back to the Miramichi region and went to work at a pulp mill. The reason he moved back, he was starting to get in trouble. Mm, okay. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. It was home after all in the Miramichi. He lost his job in 1972 when he was convicted of possession of stolen property and sentenced to another 14 months in the slammer. Mm. Dear Mr. Legier, we're not holding your job for you because you're going away for a year <laughs> and two months. Sounds like somebody's uh, used to typing up memos. Uh, yeah. Not for long. <laughs> While in jail, at one point, Legier admitted he thought he was stupid. Hmm. Well, yeah. I agree. And that many of his problems came from that. He was depressed and he was obsessed with religion, in particular, the ideas of good and evil. Prison psychologists thought Ligier was no doubt a psychopath. When he got out of jail, he went back to work at the mill, but soon quit. He didn't like how they spoke to him. Hmm. Well, I don't like how everybody speaks to me at work. Well, you know, they say, and, Mike, do things. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to. <laughs> That's weird how that works, huh? Yeah. I should, you know what? I should probably. You should step back. Yeah, just take a step back. Take some time off. Like a lot of it. <laughs> uh, anyway, he felt he deserved better. I, I, I concur. He, he did. But anyway, no, he didn't. No. He continued peeping. He found sexual release uh, that way while masturbating. Normal sex with a woman was difficult, but he tried, often with women other than his wife. Yeah, peeping, like I, I, I get uh, chills when that topic comes up. I remember an ex of mine uh, sitting in the living room, her roommate screams from the kitchen because it was a uh, kind of a basement suite, and right at the window there's a dude cranking it while she's uh cooking and it was just such a the reaction in, in uh my girlfriend's friend like it was just like i i i still so when i when i uh hear about peeping i get like the shivers like i was in that moment so you said the you said cranking it yeah yeah and it wasn't uh, uh an engine it wasn't like a model t no <laughs> No, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't like cranking a model. Well, visu- visually, there there are some comparisons to be made, but so uh, he was feeding the geese. He was feeding the geese. Yes. Yeah. And my poor friend, like she's just making her lunch for the next day at work, you know. And you look up, and here's this dude. Yep. Yeah, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. But anyway, so like I I I always still kind of go back to that moment when I hear the word peeping. So, thanks, Mike. Triggered. 
You're welcome. So he was getting weirder as time passed. Great. He'd, he'd become obsessed with the Bible. He even claimed himself uh, claimed he himself was the way to God. Legere even stormed into church shirtless one Sunday, shocking parishioners, telling them that only through accepting him as their savior would they find their peace in heaven. I mean, that is typically one of the more successful ways to convince people. You'll go into church with like cut off, barge cut into, off jeans and, a, and no shirt. Anywhere, barge into anywhere. It's like, be like, you need to listen to me. It's like Randy from Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, I've got it, people. I've got it, Pete. I've got it all figured yeah. out. Yeah, so he's, I mean, it was a good tactic. He's a wackadoo. Uh, after one police chase, uh, he yelled at cops not to touch his beautiful body. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. He'd been working out for a long time, and he saw himself as a god physically, too. Mm. And surprise, booze and drugs played a big part in Ligier's life. I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, people said that when he was sober, he was a pretty good guy, but uh, generous. But when he was loaded, look out. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, I get it, but it's kind of like saying, when he was nice, he was a good person. But when he wasn't nice, he was a bad dude. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So when he wasn't drunk... He was a good fellow. When he was drunk, he wasn't. Oh, yeah, you don't say. It's kind of how it goes. <laughs> Alan Gier was unpredictable. Well, it sounds like he was kind of predictable with the drunk and sober thing. Yeah, right? You just, yeah. People were becoming afraid of him, probably for good reason. Uh, he would break into their into different houses, uh, creeping around in the dark and, quote, <sighs> feel women up as they slept. Yeah, I, I yeah. That's that's a direct quote from him, that he would feel women up as oh. they slept. Yeah, like I just want to hurt people like him. Yeah. Well, that's why there's... A, a prison, a, a judicial system? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, he would even creep into friends' places late at night and scare the shit out of them uh, just because he could, often carrying a knife for effect. Yeesh. Yeah, right. Hey, look, I got into your house with a knife. <laughs> uh, uh, great. GTFO? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Legere even beat a man nearly to death after his mother's house burned down, claiming without any actual evidence that the man was an arsonist. <laughs> yeah. Legere was first suspected of murder in March of 1974 when 56-year-old Beatrice Redmond's corpse was found outside her home in Chatham Head. <sighs> Beatrice had been stabbed over 80 times. Oh, God. And this was in another location because her body was bloodless when they found it. Whoa. Whoa is right. Oh. She had been attending a Catholic mass at the local church and was murdered somewhere else. Oh, man. And she was just left dumped there by her home. Legere was questioned for 18 hours, even saying he'd confess just to get the cops to leave him alone, but he maintained the whole time he didn't do it. He was released, and the case has never been solved. That's yeah, another example of these uh, sociopaths and psychopaths who are typically very, uh, very good at uh, lying. And mm -hmm. yep, yeah, yeah, they can be very, very. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I forgot it. Yeah, screw it. Keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Legere's wife had had enough of him in 1978 and moved back home to Ottawa. So now he could be on the prowl, and uh, he got into more trouble fondling women at the Zodiac Club, where he'd somehow scored a gig as the manager. 
Ooh, ominous name. The Zodiac. <laughs> Jeez. Right? Yeah. He was eventually fired, but not before gaining a reputation as a savage and dirty fighter who'd do anything to come out on top. Ligier married again, this time to a woman named Donna. I think her last name was O'Toole, also another very East Coast name. I guess some women really like a bad guy. Mm. Ligier was suspected of a second murder in 1979 when Nicholas Duguay of Chatham Head was found brutally murdered by way of an axe in his home. Self-inflicted. An- <laughs> Multiple <laughs> axe wounds. Yeah. Uh. Another man named Robbie Cunningham was convicted of manslaughter in the crime as he was too high in acid to remember committing it, so they couldn't hmm. really, I guess, prove intent. Yeah. He did, however, blame Legier for the murder. Hmm. Legier, again, denied any involvement and pointed the finger right back at Cunningham. Hmm. Yeah. A book was written on that subject called The Miramichi Axe Murder. Uh, was Robbie Cunningham the scapegoat for Alan Legier? Uh, I think we could probably do a whole episode on that case alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might, if I can find the book. It's out of print. I'd love a copy, hint, hint, to any of our uh, <laughs> listeners who happen to have one laying around. Uh, Legier landed in more hot water in 1979 after slashing a broken beer bottle into a man's face and uh, twisting it. Oh, wow. Nearly severing the man's cheek. He's just a, he's just a terrible human. Like, Very, there's just violent, no, like, like every, yeah. Ultra-violent yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. You like, and those kind of people you just don't want to even be near. Oh, God, no. Even as a, as a friend as anything, you don't, like... Not somebody you should be spending time near because it's going. It's, it's going to. It's no, going to come your way. It's going. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know that one pretty well. <laughs> yep. Ask my broken nose and busted teeth. Uh, even though Legier pulled a knife on the cops who had arrested him for that crime, uh, he was a slick talker and received only a twenty-four month sentence for the crime. Oh, that's the word I was looking for. Convincing. Convincing? Yeah, they can be very convincing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> That's helpful now. Yeah, it is. So, Legier was a menace. Not Dennis the Menace, but a menace. <laughs> he moved to Moncton with his wife, Donna, when he got out of Dorchester. Dorchester Penitentiary is uh, a new, is the jail that people go to for two years less a day. Oh, okay. In, in Atlantic Canada. Yeah. So there's not a lot of big jails there. That's mm. that's the big one. So he wanted a fresh start in Moncton. But he quickly gained a reputation as someone not to be messed with in Moncton either mm. after a few scraps. Oh, I don't like, it's not the kind of person who's going to just like, you know what, I see the air in my ways. Yeah. No. No. Well, you never know. No, I do. Okay. <laughs> Run-ins with police, violent Violence and jail time seemed to be constants with Alan Legier in his world. In the summer of 1986, Legier needed cash. He'd been unemployed for a while and, with his record, was having trouble finding anyone who wanted to take a chance on him employment-wise. His reputation preceded him everywhere he went. So yeah. he was a thief. He was violent. Yeah, Sexual come, predator. Uh, yeah, you know, come I, on in. I think that you need to work in the daycare. Yeah, very, very employable. 
Right. Yeah, those are those are the skills. That... Here, come on in. Uh, the cash register's over. Yeah. Where'd the cash register yeah. go? <laughs> Why just, is he running away? He just pointed at it and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he needed some cash and he found his marks in shop owners John Glendenning and his wife Mary. They owned and operated a small but successful convenience store next to their home in Black River, Northumberland County, New Brunswick. Legere began visiting the store, casing it over a few days, being friendly with the unsuspecting shop owner. Well, oh, these poor folks, all I can tell already. Yeah. Legere knew the Glendennings had a safe with a lot of money in it. He thought old man Glendenning and his elderly wife would be easy targets as they lived alone. Not easy enough for one man. Uh, the safe looked heavy. Legere needed help. He found his help in the form of two other petty criminals still in their teens. Their names were Todd Matchett and Scott Curtis. And I think Matchett later wrote a book about this experience as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mm. Also out of print. <laughs> wait, wait, it's weird. Much. There's a lot of books in Canada that are crime books that are actually excellent, like Terror's End. Yeah. The book about this yeah. uh, particular individual uh, is out of print. And I had to go to a site and pay $5 for an ebook that I am not sure is a legal copy of this. <laughs> well, I, I I guess it all comes down to a copy sold and whether it's worth uh, continuing to print. But, you know, there is an interest in this kind of stuff. And, and remember when we were looking for a... Million-dollar book. Yeah, the million-dollar book, and it actually just kind of showed up because we were Googling it a yep. million times, and yeah. that was the one on the Abbotsford Killer. And then, I guess... Amazon got wise to me searching for it every other day. <laughs> and then, hey, do you guys want to publish this book? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Because <laughs> we get this tool in Surrey who's looking for it. He's willing to pay a million. Yeah, that was for the shipping. The, uh -oh. bo the book itself is $11. I don't care. You buy a book, you have to spend a million dollars. It was a million dollar book. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Anyway, let's get back to Todd Matchett, Scott Curtis, and Alan Legere. Yeah. So Legere wanted help on this job with the Glendennings uh, convenience store in their safe. He didn't want to play buddy-buddy with these two clowns. Uh, the two aspiring crime lords looked up to the older and more experienced Legere, who was promising them their first big score. Hmm. It'd be easy, Legere said. They'd be in and out with the Glendennings safe before you knew it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, yeah. On June 21st, 1986, the trio of shitbirds made their move. That's my first use of the word shitbirds in our podcast. It has a great application of it. I love the word shitbirds. It's great. I call my buddy Malcolm shitbird sometimes. I know, I, I see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. But a shitbird. So, yeah, shitbirds is just, yeah. It can be like any other curse. It can be good or bad. Uh, Mary Glendenning was having her after-dinner tea. John Glendenning was in the living room about to watch some TV. I guess at that time, 1986, truth or consequences wasn't on anymore. It was probably like Jeopardy. 86? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune. 
Ask your dad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he still thinks it's my 86. I think he's still watching Matlock. The three men burst into the Glendening home in, uh, uh, they did it home invasion style or blitz attack, hmm. uh, just rushing in. Can you imagine these two older people are just terrified when these creeps just smash through their door? It's not, not anything you'd be, it's a lovely, peaceful community. Yeah. They've got a, by the sounds of it, a quaint little lovely life. You're, yeah. That's not something you're expecting or, or can ever predict. And so I can imagine the instant terror. Exactly. And I mean, the area, the Miramichi is not known for this kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's not like... Atlanta, Canada is not a hotbed of criminal activity. No. Although we've done a few crimes back there, I'm hoping that people don't don't think that because we've done that, that it's full of criminals because it's not. Is it though? Jeez. Oh, so uh, one of the younger men wore a stocking over his face. The other had a hat pulled down over his. Alan Legere just hung out near the door while Matchett and Curtis did the heavy lifting. Mr. Glendenning was viciously hit in the head with a rock from his own garden, and they proceeded to tie him up. The young, uh, other young man uh, shoved Mary violently, screaming at her. This is the guy with the stocking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he tied her up, removed her bra and panties, and pawed away at the elderly woman. Oh, jeez. Sexually assaulting her. Oh, oh yeah. poor, just the fear, the poor lady. That, yeah. That, oh, John Glendenning asked the men what they wanted, begging them to leave his wife alone, uh, saying he'd give them whatever they, they liked. Yeah. They wanted the safe. Uh, Mary said she would take them upstairs to open the safe. Legere and his partner in the stocking mask shoved Mary Glendenning violently up the stairs, where she had, was beaten unconscious while trying to open the safe. Oh. The third man remained with John Glendenning. When Mary Glendenning came to, hours later... She didn't see John anywhere. The house was quiet. She was badly beaten up, bleeding from the nose and mouth. Her dentures were out, and she had a scarf tied her tightly around her neck. Oh. They'd tried to strangle her. She called her daughter to tell her what had happened, I guess, in her haze. That's the first person you call after you, after an assault. You don't think of the police. You think of people you love. And that violent of a beating, there's going to be some pretty substantial confusion. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, oh yeah. God. And apparently these ass clowns had, uh, had cut the phone lines and they thought they had cut them correctly, but there were two lines in the house and mm. one of them happened to be working, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Mary Glendenning's daughter called the police, and everybody arrived at the house pretty quickly. About six cop cars showed up. Uh, signs of a vicious struggle were everywhere. Then the house was a disaster. The safe was missing. Uh, they called for John. No answer. Mary believed the burglars had killed John. And sure enough, John Glendenning was found behind the door in their bedroom dead. He was covered in blood, still tied up with the electrical cord from their clock radio. The rock John had been bashed in the head with laid beside him. John Clendenning was beaten to a pulp. He was literally covered in bruises. Uh, I read something uh, from the uh, what uh, the coroner said. Yeah. That he was having a hard time finding a part on Glendenning's body that was not bruised. Oh, wow. Wow is right. Wow. Like his fingers were broken, his toes, you name it. Oh, 
how can humans do this to each other? Like, I, it, well, they do. Yeah, I know. Thus, the podcast. But I, yep. it just it. I can I, I still struggle to. Uh, with no conscience. Like, how can someone? Fuck. Yep. Well, it gets better. There was a dirty boot print on Glenn Denning's face as well. A shirt had been tied tightly around his neck. This is what ultimately killed him. He had been strangled. So, in my mind, the boot holding him down and then pulling up on the on the on the shirt that was around his neck to strangle him yeah but it does like that's not going to really uh uh get it as tight as one would well they had, it was already it, so. tied tightly right so it's just yanking and using using the weight against the the guy god uh mary glendenning was alive but barely she was rushed to a local hospital. The doctor who first saw her said he, quote, couldn't believe that a person could be that badly beaten and still be alive. Aww. Yeah. Her scalp was swollen and bruised. Her forehead was fractured. She had two black eyes and her mouth was swollen shut. Along with many other brutal injuries all over her body, Mary Glendenning showed signs of having been sexually assaulted with a gun. Mary didn't recognize the men who'd assaulted her the stolen safe from their house and murdered her 66-year-old husband. So, yeah. Only days after, uh, an anonymous caller said that she had seen three local men with a safe and more cash than they could have earned honestly. They were Todd Matchett, Scott Curtis, and, surprise, Alan Legere. She told the cops that they had a gun and that they were driving a red car. Matchett's mother had a red car. The cops went to work looking for these three, who they knew well. Alan Legere was pulled over driving his own car. It was a Nissan 240Z, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. remember those. Names. Yeah, and he used, used to like to drive it really fast, apparently. Mm. Um, he was arrested for the murder of John Glendenning. Uh, Ligier pretended to be surprised and immediately launched into his typical denials. This is what he always did when the cops picked him up. I didn't do it. He claimed he knew nothing about the murderer. He continued to maintain his innocence when pressed at the RCMP detachment. RCMP officers asked Ligier for hair samples to match against those from the Glendening crime scene. Legier refused to give the samples voluntarily. The cops told him he didn't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> I figured the cops were probably pretty pissed off that two older, very kind people had Been one brutal, one's murdered yeah. and another one viciously attacked, viciously raped. Yeah, you know, and and beaten. That's uh, where I, I, you know, I, I have such uh, respect for police officers for what they have to see, but. Imagine the how restraint hard. that yes. they have to... Yeah, know. exactly where mm -hmm. I was going. Yep. So the police, needing approximately 100 hairs from Ligier's head and beard, began pulling hair. This is from court records. Hmm. It didn't take long before Ligier offered to pull them himself. I'm sure they weren't exactly kind when they were doing it. Oh, too bad. He did so and gave those samples. He allowed other samples to be cut. And six days later, the cops came back again for more hair from Ligier's head and beard. This time they had a warrant. Curtis and Matchett uh, were arrested as well. They were put into a cell together 
and they ran their mouths talking about the crime as the cops recorded them. We've, we've heard this many times. <laughs> idiots these people are. Yep. Scott Curtis and Todd Matchett appeared in Newcastle Court and were charged together with second-degree murder. Alan Legere was charged alone the next day with the same crime. Witness after witness testified against Alan Legere in his trial, painting a picture of a guilty man flashing money around town. After some legal wrangling about the veracity of hair evidence, it was allowed. A hair matching Legere's had been found on John Glendening's face, and a hair matching Mary Glendening was found on the zipper of Alan Legere's jacket. Hmm. Legere even testified himself, which is unusual. Yes. Uh, he called everybody who testified against him liars, especially the cops. The money, he said, was just handed to him by the real criminals, Todd Matchett and Scott Curtis, and another mysterious man. What, what a couple of uh, very kind fellows. They'll just, hey. Drive up. Hey, buddy. Here's a bunch of cash. Here's like $15,000. You look like you're having a rough day. Here's a wad of money. Why not? Anyway, uh, Legere's testimony did not do him any favors. He typically doesn't. <laughs> the jury found Legere guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for at least 18 years. Hmm. That's a pretty hefty sentence here in Canada. Yep. On the way out of the courthouse, Legere was asked if he would appeal. He said simply, yes. He stuck to his word, and his appeals began right away. Todd Matchett and Scott Curtis were found guilty as well. They were both sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 16 years. Hmm. Alan Legere, fuming, sat in his jail and plotted his next move. Escape. Hmm. Oh. So next week, in part two, we'll get to see how Alan Legere got his nickname, the Monster of Miramichi, and just how truly depraved this piece of crap actually is. Yeah, well, he's already sounding quite depraved, but... Yep. Sounds like it's going to get worse. It does. Uh. Before we go, we want to give some shout-outs to our new Patreon patrons. A big thanks this week to Allison from Kuala Lumpur. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Allison. Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, we're going global. It's so fun. Yeah, it's a big business, Mike. Yep. Uh, Aaron from Galveston, Texas. Galveston, Galveston. Is that actually a song? I think it is. If it isn't, it is now. It is now. That was beautiful, Mike. You're, you're welcome. And thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, thank you to Jennifer from Moncton. Jennifer from yeah, Moncton. Moncton. Yeah, there's a song, too. Yep. Uh, and Kyla from Toronto upped her pledge again. <laughs> we can now call her the Prime Minister of Dark Poutine. Absolutely. There's room for more than one. Just so you know, but she That's is, cool. she's cool. our first prime minister. She's like our Sir John A. Macdonald. And you're going to get a crown because our prime minister gets a crown. You have to buy it yourself. though. You have to buy it yourself. <laughs> Just saying. You, you can have a crown if you buy a crown. You can have a crown if you buy a crown. Yeah. You're not well. It's pretty much just science that I just dropped. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much uh, for your pledges. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, um, man, do we ever. We had our first two PayPal donations this week. Oh, sweet. As well. Wow. Uh, so thank you so much to Karen and Maura. Wow, thank you. Yeah, thank you, like uh, that was actually very surprising. Oh. Uh, we'll have a couple of honey crullers on you folks. Woot, woot. Woot, woot. Not actually on you because I'm pretty sure you're not in Newton, but 
You're rooting to no. It's not. That's not what I meant. That's what you said. <sighs> don't say it if you don't mean it, Mike. If you want to uh, donate uh, via Patreon, you can. Uh, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash/DarkPoutine. And uh, if you want to send us some donut money via PayPal, our email address is darkpoutinepodcast at gmail dot com. So we had some interesting, uh, we had some conversation last week and I said, uh, or you said, I can't remember. It was said. It was said. The, one of my favorite sayings and people who know me know that I say this a lot when I'm upset or even when I'm just kidding around, I will tell somebody to go shit in their hat. It is like, uh, it's quite frequent. It's quite frequent yeah. that I say, go shit in your hat. Yeah. I tell tell people to do other things with their hat as well, but I am not going to say that. But go shit in your hat is good enough. Go shit in your hat. It's great. <laughs> it is great. You, yeah, you, I stand corrected. <laughs> it's fun. You know, actually, the, uh, the root of go shit in your hat is from William Blake. Whoa. Yeah. You did some research, Mike. Well, actually, Carol, uh, my wife, did the research for for that particular thing. I'm not giving her credit. And it is from, uh, it's from, one moment. Well, I'm going to go shit in my hat because I can't find it. Well, Mike's looking for that. I'll just spend some time talking to everybody on my own. Uh, Really glad you're listening. And... uh, there's, they're still listing. We can just cut that out. No. Please. No, I got that ramble. I like it. Okay. But anyway, so we, we were talking about just go shit in your hat. And we said, you know, if you want to, you can send us a voice voicemail and tell us to go shit in your hat. <laughs> oh. oh. And so a lot of people actually sent us voicemails. Yeah, I love them. In various languages, actually, I from all over the world, them. telling us to go shit in your hat. Oh, it's glorious. So here is uh, a little montage that I made up this afternoon uh, before we did this podcast. It's going to be a montage. A montage. Hey, Mike and Scott, this is Megan in Decatur, Georgia. Um, y'all asked for it, so go shit in your hat. Mike? Scott? Go shit in your hat. Oh, jeez, did I say that out loud? Sorry. Scott and Mike, go shit in your hats. Hey, guys, it's Lauren from Dubbo, and I wanted to say that I love the podcast, but I really wanted to tell you to go shit in your hat. Scheiser in einer Hut. Hi, Mike and Scott, it's Veronica, so I'm calling to say go shit in your hat. Ve a cagar en tu sombrero. If it's not too much trouble... Could you please go shit in your hat? Thank you. Sorry. Ah, go poop in your toque. Hello, this is Chris Brotherton. Scott and Mike, go shit in your hat. Go shit in your hat. Go shit in your hat. Thank you to Adam, Chris, (laughs) Veronica, both in English and Spanish, Mm -hmm. Maya from Denmark, Danya uh, for telling us to go poop in our toque, Di, my brother JP for the German Scheiße, uh, Junior, Lauren, Megan, and Navarra. Thank you so much. Oh. There was, however, one other It message. was all glorious, by the way. That was, uh, thank you all. Keep it coming. Don't, don't end with the shits and the hats. 
Yeah, we. It, you know what? If you guys tell us to shit in your hat once a week, like if somebody says shit in your hat, leave us a voicemail. Send, make it with your phone. Just send it to darkproteinpodcast at gmail.com. Say, hey, Scott, Mike, go shit in your hat. We'll play it on the or, podcast. Or any voicemail, because let me tell you, I have an These idea. These are fun. I have an yeah. idea. Scott's got a good idea. I yeah. got an idea. Yeah. Uh, I am going to create a song yeah. with, from all the voicemails that we receive. I'm going to create a song. It's going to be great. We, uh, I'm pretty sure Pharrell's going to produce it. That's probably a lie. You're telling lies. Yeah, again. but I am going to make a song, and you will all have a song with your uh, with your beautiful voices in it. So just keep keep sending the voicemails, whatever yeah. it is, whatever it is. I think that would be great. Yep. If we could get a, like a go shit in your hat song. Yep, it's, it's going to happen. Well, just, yeah, it's going to happen. The band Ween yes. actually did a, a song called Go Shit in Your Hat, Matt. Matt, how can we, how, like how? Which is funny know, because yeah. somebody called me Matt once by accident. Uh, but, um, so I'll link to that in the show notes. You can watch that on or listen to it on YouTube. Yep. It's no, kind of yep. go it, shit in your hat, Matt. Yeah, you should. It was, it's quite hilarious. It is pretty funny stuff. Love Ween. Uh, but we are referring to another voicemail that we got here. Oh, so, my God. Right. So <laughs> this one, I, I, I was a little afraid. I was a little in love. Yeah. All right. So uh, here's, here's the voicemail we got from Kyla, actually the Prime Minister of Dark Poutine. That's right. Enjoy our Prime Minister, Prime Ministering. Hello, Mike, Scott, it's Kyla. Hello, you're not, you're not picking up. Can you hear me? I know you're there. Okay, so this is how it's going to be when we reach 50,000 downloads. So I, I think that, you know, podcasters who, who live in glass houses, Shouldn't shouldn't ignore their fans when they phone their dark poutine phone line. Oh, dark poutine, yeah, I'm real scared. Well, you can take a whole package of X-Lax, you can melt that down and pour that on your dark poutine. You guys are probably sitting behind the microphone playing pocket pool the whole time you're recording anyway, like you give a crap about us, and you can eat that poutine. You ever seen a buffalo take a dump? Well, that's the kind of dump you're going to be taking after you eat that poutine and you can just take that hat and you can take a shit right in your hat because I'm not I will not be ignored and you're gonna have a fucking Charlie horse like you've never felt before in their, your anus for the rest of your natural life once you've eaten that and, you know, you guys even, you're not even good enough. You're not even worth it to be the professional ass lickers of my cats. So take that and shove it in your hat. Goodbye. So, <laughs> this is probably the last episode of Dark <laughs> The Prime Minister... 
We've been told. Oh, man, did we ever. We've, we've been told. Were we ever in glorious fashion. I think that was the most cursing that we've ever had on this show. Yeah. No. That that I, I it was a glorious use of the word anus as well. Oh, that was just probably the best voicemail ever recorded in the history of voicemails. To date. To well, date. To date. To date. So if you think you can top that in some way, and please just not another angry voicemail. No, no keep, well, okay. However you want it. If it is like whatever you want to do, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, if anger voicemails float your boat. Anger if your boat is floating, that was that was just epic, though. It was epic. that was epic. I love it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So for our Patreon folks, um, yeah, we will be moving on to our after show after this. Uh, we got some some good feedback from folks. They said they enjoyed our our banter. Yeah, because that's all it is in our after show is yeah. banter. We put on uh, velvet robes. <laughs> Corn cob pipes. What? What? <laughs> anyway, so to learn more about this show and uh, see the other episodes, uh, check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com. Uh, there's show notes and other cool stuff there. Yep. Oh, you can buy t-shirts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What? The eye in our store. Some yes. people have. I got my... Uh, my phone case, yeah, my I've, dark poutine phone case. People have been posting their shirts and hoodies. I love it. It's Malcolm so and great. Sarah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's been a, a number of of shirt postings. Yep, I love it. It's pretty great. Go shirt in your hat. Go what? <laughs> what? Well, I so I ordered you a shirt, Scott. Yeah, I ordered you two. I'm gonna put it in my hat. Why are you going to do that? Nah, that? I'm not going to. I'm going to put it on my body. You're going to put it on your body. Yeah. Put on put it on my body. Put <laughs> Why am I so disturbed by that? <laughs> Maybe you've seen my body? I don't think I ever have. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're going to whether I like it or not. Whether you like it or not. So, I'm going to take photos of me shirtless. And when you're not looking, I'm going to make them all the, the wallpapers on your uh, desktops and every computer you have. I feel sick. You should. I probably should. You should. Not so, oh yeah, the Umber Yard. Uh, our closed group is actually taken off pretty, pretty well. There's a lot of folks posting in there it is always busy and i love it yes I, we got such a, a bunch of cool folks who come and hang out with us it is so neat yeah i haven't been able to be as busy uh, as active in there in the last week or so i've no, had a yeah. uh, family member a close family member in the hospital so it's been uh yeah uh, occupying uh energy and time yeah and i'm i'm working pretty much every day so but I, I hope to get back and uh, be in a, a daily uh, comment or, or reply here. Or, or... Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, I forgot Tanya posted a, a picture of, of her and her dark poutine yumber yard shirt, too. Uh, and clouds and rainbows? And rainbows and clouds. 
It's very cool. Very. I, lo- I actually love that logo. It, I'm I'm very proud of it. I am like I legit like you know, uh, you know joking aside, it's a fantastic logo. Yeah, you I should think, be proud of it. It turned out pretty well. Yes, it did. Yeah. So um, you can leave us an internet voicemail at darkprotein.com slash message, and we'll play it on a future episode. And we've proved it here that we will play it. If you tell us to go shit in our hat, we will play it. And a song. And a song. Yeah. It's going to so, be a love ballad. <laughs> it'll probably be a rap song, knowing you. Shot it. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, just search Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. Especially fun, we mentioned our closed group, The Umber Yard. Uh, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory like iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or at our host, Sp- uh, Podbean. Spodbean. Spodbean, was, yeah. Also, also not, a great host. No. Lots of you have left five-star reviews. Uh and uh, that one star review is still there. <laughs> you should stay there just for posterity. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, it keeps me humble. No, it doesn't. No, it's true. <laughs> uh, every little bit helps. We really appreciate uh, you letting us fill your ears with another episode of Dark Poutine. Come back next week for part two of uh, Alan Legier at the Monster of Miramichi. And don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye. Bye.